0: Okay, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 26 today, and we are continuing along the chronological life of Jesus. We, we are in the last day of his life, less than 24 hours before he's going to be crucified. We've covered from the time before his birth. And this has been a, a, a series of over 150 messages, and they're all up on, on my website. And, and uh, uh, so if you wanted to catch up on any of those portions, you can. Luke, the Gospel according to Luke, is actually our outline that we're going through, but then we fill in from the other Gospels. And so uh, so we're going to, re- going to be reading from Matthew chapter 26, reading from verse 21. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. And Jesus said to him, You've said it yourself. So, we learned last time that in John chapter 13, it said that that Jesus said, for you are clean, but not all of you, and John alerted us, Jesus was making a statement about there was a betrayer in their midst, and now what we're going to see is Jesus is going to zero in on, on the betrayer. He just made a general statement last week when we were reading that, 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 you you are all clean, that that you are clean, but not all of you, making a little indication that there was a betrayer amongst them. And now what he's going to do, we're going to see a progressive uh, sequence where he's going to zero it in, right in, on, on Judas. And thinking about this, you may say, well, why would he do it that way? Well, maybe he was giving Judas a chance to repent, slowly but surely closing in on him, with the hope that he would repent. So, in, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 26, it's, it says, he says in verse 21, one of you will betray me. So now he's very openly said it. Before he said, you're not all clean, but now he says, one of you will betray me. So there's 12 disciples there, and he says, it's going to be one of you. And he was, he was uh, they being deeply grieved when they heard this, they were each one saying, surely it's not I, Lord. And then Jesus zeroes it in more. He says, he who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. Now, what happens in a, in a Passover, and we had already discussed the sequence that goes on during a Passover. What happens is there's these bowls of salt water where they'll dip in parsley and when you have a table where there's 12 people around it, and so remember, what they did at a Passover table, they always reclined. It's a low table. You would be on your left arm, eating with your right. There are occasions during the Passover where you switch to the opposite side. It's a traditional thing. Same tradition in the first century. And so, but they're, they're on their left hand, and so the head is near the table, their feet are out, and, and they're up usually with a pillow or their elbow up up on a uh, leaning, and they're facing in toward the table, and they're around the table in this way. If you have 13 people, 12 disciples plus Jesus, one little bowl for dipping in the parsley isn't enough, and so you would put out three or four or five of those bowls around the table. And he says, one of those who's dipped in with me, he's the betrayer. Now, we know on on, on Jesus' right, so he's down on his left hand, on his right, we know is John. We know that from what we're going to read in, in, in the Gospel according to John. It says John was in Jesus' bosom, meaning not that he had his head here, but he's the next one over to Jesus' right. Behind Jesus is probably Judas. We're not sure, but it had to be somebody near the bowl that Jesus was dipping into because they all there were three or four people that would dip into one bowl and so he says i'm narrowing it down for you it's one of the people close to me he says he who's dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me and then he goes on he says this has been written and then he says it says in verse 25 and jesus and judas who was who was betraying him said surely it's not i rabbi now he's asking the question, surely it's not I, Rabbi. He's not making a statement, he's asking the question. Not I. Is it Rabbi? And Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. This, you've said it yourself, is a Greek idiom for yes, indeed. Just like uh, if, if, you, if, uh, if uh, you say something and I say, you said it, what is that? That's a, an, uh, an idiom, an English idiom for you bet. Yes, indeed. And so we have the same sort of thing. So Jesus uses a Greek idiom as he's speaking to him. He's saying, yes, indeed. Jesus is really naming it more specifically. And then in verse 26 of Matthew 26, And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after blessing, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. So when you get near the end of the meal time, remember we, you've taken the Passover already earlier on. You've taken the, 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 the matzah already, or the afikomen. It's called it. Within the, you had three layers in this in this uh, uh, cloth. The middle layer of the the, uh, the matzah, which had to be striped and had to have holes in it. And as a believer, that takes on great meaning. But of course. The rabbinic teaching doesn't take on that great meaning. They take out the middle one, and they, they, they wrap it up, and now what they do after the meal is ending, they'll break it up, and the person leading the meal will take it, dip it in, in uh, um, the the the, uh, Horuset, the the material that we told you about before, which is this mix, mixture of nuts and apple and, and wine and this little mixture, and he will give it to each person around the table. That's what he's doing now. This is how the, the Lord's Supper was first instituted. It was at this point of breaking the matzah and distributing it around. Now let's turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 from verse 21. John thirteen twenty one. And when he had said this, he became troubled in spirit and he testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me this really hurt Jesus. Have you ever been betrayed by a friend? And you understand the hurt. If somebody who you really trusted has lied to you, you understand the hurt. Jesus knows this hurt. You are not alone in this. You are not alone. Jesus understands the pain of life. He has lived this life. He understands it. You're not alone. It says, Jesus was troubled in spirit, and he testified, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The same statement we read in Matthew, this is the same thing, He's saying it's going to be one of you. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking of. You know, they had lived together for three years, more than three years. I mean, how can it be one of of these folks? There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So there was reclining. So, in other words, right in front of Jesus was one of the disciples, and it's the disciple whom Jesus loved. So, this is a traditional way of writing a biography. The way a biographer in antiquity would write themselves into the biography to say that they were eyewitnesses, they wouldn't use their own name. So it was it was it was out of practice. It was not in practice to say, I saw this, I saw that. They would write themselves into the story, into the biography, in order to show that they were an eyewitness to this, what was taking place. And he says that one was in his bosom, the one whom Jesus loved. And they would not use their own name, they would use a descriptor. And so the descriptor that he used was the one whom Jesus loved. Now that's not to say that he loved him the most, That's not to say that he's the only one. He's just saying, I recognize Jesus loves me. That is a good thing to recognize. I want to tell you personally, I know that my Lord really loves me. And I'm proud of that. I really know that. And I think he has a special eye out for me. And that I'm kind of special to him. Now that's not to say that you're not all special, but I look at my relationship with my Lord as really special to me. And... John looked at it in the same way. So he called himself the one whom Jesus loved was in his bosom, meaning the one right in front of him. So verse 24, so Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. So Simon Peter is not right next to Jesus. He's probably a little bit further away. Probably there's John and then maybe there's Simon Peter or maybe two away there's Simon Peter. And Simon Peter says, hey, gestures to him. He says, uh, tell us, who's he speaking about? You're right there next to him. Ask him, who's he speaking about? He's giving us, just, he's not telling us, who's he talking about? You know, dipping the bowl with him. Come out and say it. Who's he talking about? You know, so Peter was always the gregarious guy. He was going to get to the bottom of this. But he's not right next to Jesus. He doesn't want to shout it out. Hey, Jesus, which one of us is it? He just motions to, to John, who's right next to Jesus, and says, Hey, ask him, which one is it? So, he, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? So, remember, John's over here, so John's leaning back. Hey, Jesus, who is it? Who are you talking about? That's, that's the scenario. You get the picture? That's what's happening. And he, he says, and Jesus then answered, that is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and he gave it to Judas the son of Simon Iscariot. Simon from from Keriot, the town of Keriot. You can go see Keriot today. Have you ever been to Keriot? No. Okay. But well, if, if, if you can go to Israel and you, you you can go see that town today. But. But uh, uh, So this is the time that Jesus is handing out the bread, where he broke the bread, he dips it, and then he gives it. This is the tradition. You take a small piece, you dip it, and the person leading the meal dips it, and then hands it out. This is the bread, the way it was given. And he says, okay, you want to see which one it is? The next guy. This, And he hands it to Judas. So Judas must have been right there near him. He hands it to him. So, when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Satan then entered into him. Now, we've seen before that Satan had already entered in. But now, again, he's entering in more of fullness into into, uh, Judas. So, you see, he very broadly said, not all of you are clean. And then he said, one of you will betray me. And then he said, well, it's one of these two or three around me. Then he says, here's the guy. Verse, verse 28. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing because... Uh, I'm sorry. Let me go back up to verse 27. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. So he looks right at Judas, he says, what you do, do quickly. He forced Judas' hand, remember what we had read, they did not want to have this trial and this crucifixion going on during the Passover. They wanted to wait till afterward, but Jesus had to die during the Passover to fulfill what was written in the scripture, so he forced their hand to do it at this time. God is in control, and he says, what you do, do quickly. Judas knew exactly what he meant. Judas had been found out. What you do, do quickly. He thought, "Uh uh-oh, Jesus knows. We've got to fulfill this thing immediately. We've got to go through with it because he knows. We've got to get him before he leaves town, before he gets too far away. Once this Passover feast is over, don't know where he's going to go. He's got to do it. So Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. Now, no one of those reclining at the table in verse 28 knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we have need of for the feast. Or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately and it was night. This and it was night is superfluous. The Passover feast is always at night. But this gets right down to John's contrast of light and darkness. He's going out into the night. It was night. So Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. No one else at the table recognized what he was talking about. Judas knew what he was talking about and took off. They assumed, they said this because, he remember, he was in charge of the money box. We learned earlier in John he was in charge of the money box and he used to pilfer the money box. That's what it says. And and so they assumed that because he was in charge of the money box, either Jesus was sending him to go purchase something that they needed for this meal, or that he should go and give money to the poor, which is a common Jewish practice to this day on the Passover, to give money to the poor, because he was in charge of this money box. So they didn't really get it. What I want to focus in on is Jesus identified him. There was this general sense that he would be betrayed. Then it's zeroing in upon the group. Then it zeroes in upon a group of, of, of three or four. Then, boom, right to him. Whenever I read this, it reminds me of a documentary I watched when I was a kid where there were these elk, and this, this this pack of wolves comes down, and they start chasing after the elk. And the elk are kicking and running, and one wolf grabs into one leg of one elk, and the elk kicks them away, but the elk is bleeding. That is the elk that they will kill. So you've got, you've got hundreds of elk there. They all look the same. But the wolves are going to find that one. And they just keep going toward it. And groups split off. And they don't go toward the group. They go toward the group where the elk is. And then more split off. And then eventually it's that one elk that's stripping blood. Who would live just fine. If it were not for the fact that he were bleeding just a little bit. If the wolves left him alone, he'd be just fine. But that trail of blood just... Poof, just brings the the, uh, the the wolves right toward them. that's the one they're going to go after god gives us chances to repent he gives us opportunities to confess this judas could well have said hey you know i've been thinking about this i blew it i even talked to the to the to the jewish leaders about this jesus gave him every opportunity and this is exactly what he does for us it says, it says in uh, uh, Numbers thirty two twenty three. it says, Be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. There is nothing that we can do that we get away with. Be sure your sin will find you out. I want to tell you this story of, of, of uh, Achan. Uh, this is in Joshua chapter 7. So if you turn to Joshua chapter 7, there's this amazing chapter in Joshua. So if we go to Joshua chapter 7... And to give the context of this, in Joshua chapter 6, they had defeated the, the uh, city of Jericho. The city of Jericho was to be an... Op- they weren't supposed to take anything for themselves in the city of Jericho. That was an offering to the Lord. They were supposed to burn everything. Nothing was supposed to go to an individual. They weren't supposed to take anything for themselves. And, and uh, Shirin and I actually visited the city of Jericho this, this past summer. And you can still see it. The city of Jericho is there. You can still see the original walls. They've excavated and you can see those walls. And so, so um, uh, in the city of Jericho, they were supposed to touch nothing. But one man named Achan saw something. So, if we read in Joshua 7, verse 1. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan... The son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. He took something and he hid it in his tent. As a result, this nation that had defeated this mighty city, Jericho, started to get defeated by a little tiny town called Ai. They were getting... They were just, guys were just dying trying to fight this little city. And Joshua wanted to know what's going on? How come, how come we're, we're just getting defeated here? And he, and he starts crying out to the Lord in, in Joshua chapter 7, verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth. It is face before the ark of the Lord until evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, "Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over to the Jordan, only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? If only you had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan." O Lord, what can Israel? What can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? And he goes on, and then in verse ten, here is the Lord's answer. So the Lord said to Joshua, rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned and they have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have put them among their own things. So, and then he says, therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. You say, oh, such things would never happen today. Read in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 sometime. We went over this a few weeks ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says that when we don't monitor our own hearts and we take of the Lord's Supper without examining our own hearts, that we bring upon us sickness and, and uh, uh Many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. Sleep is the euphemism for death of the believer. The scriptures clearly tell us, even in the New Testament, that if we keep neglecting what God is speaking to us, that weakness and sickness comes upon us. Not that all sickness is like that. Some sickness comes by a virus. Very sophisticated microorganisms that just come and just, just have this way of piercing right into a cell and doing nasty things. Not all sickness is because of sin, but sin will bring sickness upon your life. And and so, God knew exactly what was going on. So it says, um, in verse fourteen, in the morning, then you shall come near by your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe of the Lord that shall that the tribe which the Lord's take by lot. Sh- takes by lot, shall come near by family. So he's going to zero right in on this. So look in verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near by tribes. So he had the 12 tribes in front of him. Then he says, so then he says, uh, um, and the tribe of Judah was taken. So by lot, the tribe of Judah was taken. Uh Uh-oh. And he brought the family of Judah near and he took the family of the Zerites. And he brought the family of the Zerites near by man. And Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household near by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah, was taken. They zeroed right in on this guy. God knew exactly who it was. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, which means that he was just a young man. He was probably around your age because he had to be 20 years old or over in order to fight in, in battles. And so he was just a young man. He was already married. Remember, in that day, there, they, they married much younger than we do today. It wasn't at all uncommon for a person to marry, even around age 16, for a man to marry. It says that, that he, said, uh, he, he said, Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give glory to God, the God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold, fifty shekels in weight. Then I coveted them, and I took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent, and the silver is underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers. They ran to the tent, and behold, it was concealed in his tent, with the silver underneath it. They took them from the inside of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day, and all of Israel stoned them with stones and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. they raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day and the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, therefore the name of that place has been called the valley of Akor to this day. You know God told them to deal with this man. he never told them to throw his, his wife and his children into it, but that's the way they dealt with it in Israel. They, but God had never told them to do that, but they were going to deal with this man. It is very much like that, that, that uh, herd of elk. I mean, they just, boom, zeroed in, right in on him. This is what God does. You say, well, God doesn't really work like this. Oh, yes, He does. There is so much blessing for walking in the fear of God. And things come at us, and we have all sorts of opportunities. I want you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes is right after the book of Psalms. Shortly after the book of Psalms, you'll find Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. And, and um, so, so Psalms, Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes. If you turn to verse chapter chapter eight, chapter eight, we're reading from verse eleven. Chapter eight, Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes eight eleven. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly. Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Just because the sentence doesn't become immediately. This is God's grace. The sentence doesn't come immediately. He gives grace. He gives time to come back to Him and say, Father, forgive me. I am so sorry for this. Forgive me. Turn in in that same book, Ecclesiastes, turn to chapter 12, the end of Ecclesiastes, so it's always easy to find. The last two verses of Ecclesiastes are this. Book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 13. The conclusion when all has been heard is, Fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Everything we do, good and evil, will be brought before the Lord. Everything we do, good and evil, is brought before the Lord. Fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. Fear God and keep His commandments. Fear God and keep His commandments. God just brings all this right in on us. So now let me give you some practical outworking of this. I'll just tell you a few things from my own life. Just even in the last week. In the last week, so, so a, a, a company... I, I sold a company to a group and there was, there was a disbursement of, of some funds and I dispersed the funds to the people that needed to, it, it needed to get dispersed to. Then I got, I got an email from one of the people to whom the funds were dispersed and he said, we need to quietly backtrack and redisperse the funds in such and such a way and, and, uh, um, so that it would have less tax implications for them. But the funds were already dispersed, and this is how we had agreed upon how it would be dispersed. Because if you take it as a personal gain, it's 35%, roughly 35% taxes. If you take it as capital gains, it's 20% taxes. So it's a 15% difference. And I just wrote back to him, you know, to say we need to quietly do this. What does that mean, quietly? Does that mean sinfully? What does it mean, quietly? If it were okay, why do we have to be quiet about it? So I said, here's the name of my accountant. My accountant is a believer. And I, and, and I told him, if there's ever any question, just always defer to the side of the government. I don't want to get in any trouble. And I said, here's the name of my accountant. If he says that what you want to do is okay, then I'm okay with it. And I never heard from him again. But there are things that come our way all the time. That when we make decisions, we have to think about this because there are things that are before us. I'll tell you another instance. Seems really trivial. Seems really simple. But what would happen is, so I have a parking card that I pay for, like $450 a year to park in the parking lot right, right next to, to my building. There's another parking lot right there and my card will open up either of those parking lots and, 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 and so you could park there. And in one of the halves, they, you can park there And there's also, you can get in there with a credit card. So, you can get in there with a parking card or with a credit card. So, I park in there using my parking card, and my children would come to my office sometimes to see me, and they would just go to my car, open the door, take the parking card, open the gate, and go in. Well, that card was really for one car, not for all of my family's cars. So, I knew what they were doing, and then after a while, I was like, this just isn't right, what they're doing. So, I wrote a check for $100, and I sent it to the parking office. I said, here's what was going on. My kids visited me a few times, and they they used my parking card to get in without using a credit card. And the guy from the parking office called. He said, look, I have never seen anybody do this before. He says, I'm going to send you your check back. Just tell your kids not to do it anymore. I said, I'll tell them not to do it. But that was wearing on me. And you say, oh, it's a silly little thing. No, it's not a silly silly little thing. My family was doing something that was not right, that was deceptive. I'm the father. I'm responsible. Here this man, Achan, brought sin upon his whole household. It doesn't just affect you. Sin in your life does not just affect you. It affects your community. It affects your family. You take a man that, that falls into adultery. You think that's Just between him and God? No. Tell me what that will do to his wife. Tell me what that will do to his children. Your sin affects many people around you. Tell me what that will do to his parents. I mean, lots of people get affected by our sin. Lots of people. Things have a habit of snowballing. Judas just used to pilfer, you know, some change out of the money box. And then probably it got more. To the point where he's betraying the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. Sin has a way of snowballing. I tell this to students. If you're going to cheat on your results in the lab, I can't rerun every experiment that you do. But be sure. You'll do a little bit and you'll get away with it. But one day, you're going to do something that's so big, people are going to say, wow, we've got to reproduce that. They're going to go back and it's not going to be reproducible and it's going to hurt your career and it's going to hurt mine because you work in my lab. Don't ruin my career that way. I've worked too hard at it. And and so, but little things, it begins to snowball, begins to snowball. You take little things, little things, little deceptions turn into large ones. I won't keep software on my computer that I don't own. If we haven't paid for it, I don't want it on my computers. If we, I don't want music. I don't want to have music that that I don't own, that really doesn't belong to me, on my devices. You say, oh, that's a slow, everybody does it. But God knows. What's the next thing you're going to do? What are you going to do next? There are these things that come in our lives. Fear God and keep His commandments. Remember, God just, boom, he, He'll single you right out. And He watches. Fear God and keep His commandments. We are to live differently. They tried to condemn Daniel. They could find nothing, nothing in his management on which they could condemn the guy. So they condemned him on the basis of his worship of his God. And that got them in real trouble. They ended up in the lion's den for that. Daniel was untouched, and and they and their wives and their children, the whole, all of them, were, were crushed by the lions. There are things that come in our life that that we have to take a stand for, because it goes little and little by little. The Lord, the Lord brings it to our memory. You know, when I was forty years old. I was reminded of something that I did to a fourth grade teacher. And you say, oh, come on. I'm just tell you, I mean, it really bothered me. I was 40 years old. And I had thought about it for years, but I never did anything. But, you know, it is amazing. I remembered that teacher's name, and I Googled her name, and I found her in my hometown. She was still alive. And, and, I, and I called, and I got her number. I called her house, and I told her what I did to her. Now, she didn't even remember, but she said, what would make you do this? And I said, you know, I've become a Christian, and I really want to live my life openly before the Lord. And I felt bad about this, and I felt I had to talk to you. So it was a witness to her. But I felt so freed after that call. If you think that these are just old skeletons in the closet, how come they kick the door open all the time? How come they do that? How come this comes back to us? Deal with these issues, deal with these people, and let your life be free. And the Lord gives instances and opportunities for us to deal with it. He really does. He says, One of you is going to betray me. Alright. It's this is a group. It's you. And and Judas, we're going to read, he was remorseful. He was remorseful when he saw Jesus condemned, but he never repented. Remorse is different than repentance. Repentance means I turn from what I was doing and I go to God. I say, Father, forgive me. And I go to the person that I've offended and I say, forgive me. That is what repentance is. Remorseful is just like, I'm sorry I did that. That's not getting forgiveness. To be remorseful is not repenting. Repenting is turning. Let us walk in that. This is a blatant example that the Lord has put before us. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that even with this man, Judas, Jesus was giving him opportunity to confess what he was doing. Jesus was even giving the man opportunity. Father, may we not forget the opportunities that you give us to repent. And to seek your face. Father, I pray for these young people. That you bring them to a place. Where they would live lives totally free. And if they have done wrong. When you reveal that to them. May they be quick to deal with it. May they be very quick to deal with it, I pray. And Father, I pray for those here that don't know you. Lord, I know that they are incapable of repentance. Without you being there that to them these things that I'm speaking about sound so foreign. Father, I pray that you draw them to a place where they would say, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Come into my life. Wash me clean by the blood of Jesus and let me live for you. Father, I pray for these young people that you would save their souls. And Lord, I pray for their good. May the blessings of God rest upon them in the name of Jesus. Amen.